three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 396. Welcome in. Man, it's a lot of episodes. 396 episodes of this show I have done. Wow. Uh, today I'm wearing my favorite shirt. I, I'm starting to wonder, like, do I wear it too often on the podcast? Is that even possible? I don't know. It's certainly the most comfortable thing I own. And uh, I realized, like, I didn't move to Hawaii to feel guilty about wearing Hawaiian shirts. So as I say that, maybe that's a ridiculous thought. I don't know. Uh, I hope you're doing very, very well. I want to start today by talking about Thursday night football. Also, I apologize. I feel like I talk about the fact that I, I live here like way too often. I'm so sorry. If, if that, I hope it's clear. I'm not flexing on anybody. I'm just excited. It's a big life change. It was very hard to get here. Uh, and I, I'm so happy. Like I, I am beyond happy. And I can't say thank you enough to the people who watch and listen to the show that made that possible. So uh, if anyone is perturbed or feels like I'm bragging, uh, that's definitely not at all what I'm trying to do. Uh, I think I just am excited. And I just naturally, I, I really, truly, uh, I, I've never been happier in my entire life. So uh, anyway, let's jump in. Let's talk about Thursday Night Football. On Thursday Night Football, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Philadelphia Eagles 28-22. to And uh, look, the outcome of this game was anything... Um, but a surprise. We all did anybody expect Philadelphia to win this football game? If one team is Super Bowl contender, Tampa, and then a Philly team that's rebuilding, got a rookie coach, a second year quarterback. And look, I think the only thing that was surprising about this game was the fact that it was actually relatively close by the end. Now, Tampa had the ball at the very end. They were, you know, on the goal line. They chose not to score. They just kneeled it, walked away, uh, happy to win with a six point victory. But I, I was surprised that Philadelphia hung around as long as they did, and uh, most of my takeaways from this game are about Philadelphia. We'll dive into them a lot. Uh, first, I will say, though, Tampa is 5-1. and one. They are absolutely Super Bowl contenders, and I think, it, well, I actually, I, near the end of this topic, I want to talk about Bruce Arians, their head coach. I want to talk about Byron Leftwich, their offensive coordinator, uh, but before we get in Philly, the one thing I do want to say is that I think a lot of people somehow... Still don't appreciate Tom Brady for how great he is. It, you know, he's 44 years old and in six games this year has thrown for 2,064 yards, 17 touchdowns, and three interceptions. It's unbelievable. I, like, I I get it. I, I love Tom Brady. I'm a fan, yada, yada. But it, it's still, I, it's actually, to me, feels weird that we're not making an even bigger deal about how well he's playing. It's We're, like, bored of how good he is. And I... My fear is that people don't respect him for what he is. Like, he is unbelievable. He's maybe, arguably, statistically, the best quarterback in the NFL. Now, I get it. He's played one more game than everybody else. But it's still just ridiculous how, what Tom Brady's doing at the age that he is. And uh, I, I hope that people realize that we're probably never going to see this ever again in any of our lifetimes. And so you better appreciate Tom Brady while he's still here because um, it, it certainly is really, really fun to watch this year. Now, Philadelphia. There's a lot to say. Uh, it's ugly. It's complicated. It's messy, especially about the running game. We'll dive into the running game in a moment. Uh, but straight up, the number one thing I want to say, and this is not con I mean, controversial in my opinion. This is not. Um, this is something that's very, very clear about Philadelphia is that in six games this year, their head coach, Nick Sirianni, and their quarterback, Jalen Hurts, have not been 
good enough. Now, I, I'm not ready to come down with a hammer. Uh, a lot of people are, fire the coach. Coach is horrible. Get rid of the quarterback. And I, I am definitely open to having conversations about should Gardner Minshew play sooner than later? I, you know, definitely. I'll, I'll get into that in a moment. But I think the one thing is that I'm not ready to completely give up on Nick Sirianni or Jalen Hurts just yet. But we're getting really, really close. And Nick Sirianni has cost his team a game or two this year with bad play calling. However, it's year one, so I don't mind. Like, here's the thing. Philadelphia is not going to win a Super Bowl this year, no matter who their head coach was. So I don't mind the coach, Nick Sirianni, kind of learning on the fly, learning some difficult lessons now because, frankly, every game Philly loses at this point gives them a better draft pick for next year. So I'm, I'm like, nah, I'm like, ah, like nothing really that big has been lost by losing the games they've lost because of Nick Sirianni. And I, I just remind everyone, it's not like Philly has this incredible roster. They maybe could have won two more games, uh, but eh, like they're, they're two and four right now. Okay. They are what they are. And then despite the mistakes Nick Sirianni has made, some on the goal line that the 49ers game really sits heavily on my mind. The play calling actually hasn't been all that bad. I mean, there's some good ideas in Philadelphia. I see some stuff they know with Jalen Hurts where I'm like, well, that's a good concept. That's a good idea. That's a good play design. And so I think it's early. Philly should be patient. That's a city that really, really struggles to be patient. But I actually look at Philly and think they're really, really close. And what I would hate to do is for somebody to step in and pull the plug early on the coach or the quarterback and make a drastic change. Maybe they change quarterbacks to guard Minshew or something. I would hate for that big drastic change to be made right before Philly's about to turn a corner. So I'm like, let's give it three, four more games, see if maybe they can get the ball rolling and turn into a well-oiled machine. Because, man, a couple mistakes here and there are really holding back Philadelphia. But if you can clean up those little mistakes, this offense is really, I think, close to having a big game or two. Now, Jalen Hurts, the quarterback, similar to the head coach, Nick Sirianni. Jalen Hurts, I've seen some good stuff. However, he has not been consistent enough. And Jalen has really, really struggled throwing the ball vertical along the sideline. He's either underthrowing receivers or you know, throwing the ball out of bounds or hitting it too far. It, it clearly isn't very good at that. There was a play against Tampa where, I mean, it's clear one-on-one coverage. It's like, get the ball out of your hands. I don't know why he did like he waited and waited and waited. And then finally he got it. It was actually a good ball vertical down the sideline, down the right sideline. But it's like, why did you wait so long to get that ball out of your hands? And it's been a, we saw the interception. I think it was last week where he underthrew a ball on a fade ball. And you're like, well, how does that, how do you do that? Jalen, you got to get the ball out on verticals. And he's clearly struggling with that. And then there's a couple of key throws. He clearly missed in this game against Tampa. Uh, one I remember the most is third and five to Zach Ertz, who's now gone, by the way. We talk about the trade in a moment. Zach Ertz was open on an outbreaking route. Jalen completely missed. That's an inaccurate throw. Can't happen. You can't have your quarterback not getting first downs because he's inaccurate. And I love Jalen Hurts as a human being. He's one of my favorite people in the NFL. But I'm I'm at the point where if four games from now nothing's different or he's not getting better. I'm like, let's give Gardner Minshew, the backup quarterback, an opportunity. I, again, I, the reason I don't want to pull the plug on that now is because I think, again, I would hate to pull the plug early, make a big change right before they're about to kind of turn a corner and have a big, you know, things are going to click for their offense. So I'm like, let's give it a little bit more 
And again, every game they lose at this point, they get closer to having a top 10 pick, which is going to help them a lot next year. But I, I, if Jalen isn't the guy, then you got to see what Gardner Minshew can do at minimum for the final seven games of the year. So give it through week 10 and then pull the plug and see what happens next. But I, I, I'm at the point where I'm right on the edge of just like, let's see what Gardner Minshew can do. Now, here are some really, really brutal realities from this game. Number one, Tampa is really, really banged up in the secondary. Corner Sean Murphy bunting and Carlton Davis are injured. They're out. Safety Antoine Winfield Jr. did not play because he's hurt. During the game, corner Richard Sherman left the game with a hamstring injury. Oh, yeah, by the way, Jamel Dean, their other corner, was playing injured. So this is a depleted Tampa Bay secondary. Here is what Jalen Hurts did against him. He was 12 for 26 passing only 115 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Now, in fairness, Philly did get two really big, long pass interference calls. Maybe those could have been big catches, and with those catches, he probably has even more yards. And like, It's possible we missed out on a couple yards from Jalen Hurts because of pass interference calls. Still, though, he only completed 46 of his passes, 46% of his passes. That's, you know... People say, like, you want to get at least above 50%, but even the NFL, 50% of your completions is really low. Jalen didn't even get to 50% last night. That's awful. And again, I'm a guy who likes Jalen, but I got to call it like I see it. That's not good. And now, to be fair, he ran the ball 10 times for 44 yards and two touchdowns. But Philly did not reach 100 yards of total offense until the fourth quarter. Uh, That is... Terrible. It cannot happen. And I, I like, I love Jalen. I've said be patient, and I've been being patient, and it's not getting better. In fact, it's getting worse. Like, you play a bad Tampa secondary who's depleted with injuries, you got to shred them. And Jalen didn't. That's a really bad stain on his like record so far, whatever you call it. But if you're a Philly fan, I, I totally understand the anger and frustration. Again, I, I'm one to... I move like a glacier. I'm like, let's wait till the last possible moment to make a drastic change. I try to give everybody a fair shot. But uh, Jalen Hurts is you know, coming to the very end of his rope. Now, a lot of people are upset. They want Philly to run the ball more with their running back, Miles Sanders. And this is a very, very complicated debate. And this is why you know, I said in the intro, it's messy. It's complicated. This is where things get really, really complicated because it's not like Philly isn't calling running plays. They keep calling RPOs a run-pass option where basically if they have numbers in the box, for example, if there are six guys to block six defenders, then they run the ball. But if the defense loads the box or the numbers don't work for Philly, let's say they only have five guys to block six defenders. If you count the numbers and read leverage, and then what ends up happening, if the numbers don't work out for Philly, you end up throwing the ball on what's actually a running play. The offensive line blocks like a running play. Receivers run a route, and you got to get the ball out quickly before offensive linemen get too far downfield. Then you have a, an illegal lineman downfield penalty. But we, that, basically, every play that Philly's running that they run the ball is an RPO. You watch receivers run routes constantly. It's a run-pass option. And people are upset because Miles Sanders isn't running the ball more. But a lot of that is because Philly doesn't have favorable matchups at the line of scrimmage. And they're throwing a lot on RPOs where they have an option to throw the ball. And Philly could, you know, just start calling straight running plays. Uh, but against Tampa especially, that's a bad idea. Tampa's got a really, really good front seven. Try running it Vita Vea. Like, that's not a good idea. And uh, 
that's why I say it's a very, very complicated problem because it's not as simple as Philly isn't calling running plays. It's that Philly calls a running play with an option to throw. The defense gives them a look to throw the ball and they throw the ball. And also that isn't working. So I get it. Uh, And in fact, like Philly, they're, they're throwing the ball in running plays. It's very weird. And I would argue that they probably should run the ball more on straight running plays because you look at time of possession last night, it's atrocious. Uh, I actually felt really, really bad for the Eagles' defense in this game because here's Tampa's time of possession. 39 minutes and 56 seconds. Meanwhile, the Eagles had the ball for only 20 minutes and 4 seconds. So it's insane. Tampa's offense had the ball for literally two-thirds of the entire game. I I mean, Philly's defense is on the field over and over and it can't get off the field. Philly got screwed over by their offense. Their defense is just, oh, man. And so if nothing else, Philly needs to run the ball more, just eat some more clock. I mean, literally Philadelphia had a a 35-second drive, three and out, where your defense barely gets any rest, and immediately they're back on the field, and they're exhausted and have no rest. And I don't know, man. Right now, the main problem in Philadelphia is the play calling with Nick Sirianni. And then Jalen Hurts, I think, is an even bigger problem with inconsistent throws and just you know some bad decisions. It's It's mostly just he's inaccurate or has poor timing and... I, I love Jalen. He works hard, but he's not improving fast enough to keep his job, I fear. I mean, they traded for Gardner Minshew. That wasn't an accident. And uh, I, I, the only good news, really, is that if the year ended today, the Eagles would have three top 10 picks. They would have their own top 10 pick, then you know a pick from Miami in the first round. And then they might get another first-round pick from the Colts that right now would be a top-ten pick. It's kind of wild. If Carson Wentz plays all year, then Philly gets a first-round pick from Indianapolis. And the Colts are in a position where if their year starts going south, and they, you know, they're one and four right now, the Colts are, if they really have a terrible year going on, they're going to have to probably bench their starting quarterback to avoid losing a first-round pick, which the Colts could use a first-round pick right now. So... Interesting storylines going on here. What's going to happen with that draft pick that hangs in the balance? If Carson Wentz plays more than 75% of the snaps for Indy this year, that second round pick they traded Carson Wentz away for becomes the first round pick for Philly. So, man, it's just really, really bizarre. And how weird is it to bench your starting quarterback, even if he's playing well, simply so that you don't lose a draft pick? It's, it's very interesting and very, very bizarre. We could actually see that down the year. From the Colts. Now, I do have two more things to say about Tampa. Again, I want to remind you, though, the problem in Philly right now, play calling Nick Sirianni, and and frankly, because, you know, (laughs) I I think they got to get away from RPOs a little bit and just run the ball to eat some clock, if nothing else, and then hear my voice crack. That's awful. Um, But then also, Jalen Hurts is not consistent enough, and I think might be the problem that ends up. He might lose his job. Now, I have two more things I want to say about Tampa. Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arians said earlier this week, quote, I don't want to be a father figure. I want to be the cool uncle you might want to have a drink with. And I love that. It made me think of Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer in Jacksonville very clearly tries to be that father figure. I got advice for you, son, and let's talk about the Bible. And it, it NFL players that are adults, that doesn't work for them. And clearly the cool uncle that Bruce Arians is works very, very well. They're winning. They're five and one. And uh, players, especially players who are adults, respond way better to someone who talks to them like an adult rather than trying to be a father figure in their life when you haven't really earned the right. Like, 
the the cool uncle is way easier to earn the right to achieve. You just hang out and say cool stuff and be yourself. Whereas the father figure takes a lot of work to earn the right to be that way and speak into someone's life that way. So I love that. And I heard that about Bruce Aarons and I was like, that's really cool. Now, my second thought is Byron Leftwich is the Buccaneers offensive coordinator, former first round pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars, was a quarterback for them for a while in the NFL. I have heard Byron Leftwich's name mentioned as a possible head coach for other teams next year. And I don't know, man, if I'm him, uh, unless there's a crazy good opportunity, I don't know. I don't know what that would look like. Maybe, maybe that's like Pete Carroll leaves Seattle and you can work with Russell Wilson. Although I, even that's like, do you, do you, do you want to be with, I love Russell Wilson, but what about the rest of the organization? I, I, I don't know. And my point is if I'm Byron left, which I'm in no hurry to leave a really good opportunity. Like how do you leave Tom Brady and find an upgrade situation where you, your life is even better and you have a better quarterback and a better situation. And if I'm him, if I'm Byron Leftwich, I'm like, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep gathering stories and gathering info. And he'll be a head coach someday if he wants to be. But I would let things play out with Tom Brady first. And, and again, the more you work with Tom Brady, the better you're going to be as a head coach later. Because you can say, back when I worked with Tom Brady, that sentence is going to be like something he can use forever. So... Whenever things fully play out with Brady, that is when I would leave if I'm Byron Leftwich, and I would be in no hurry at all to leave if I was him. Okay, uh, big news today. The NFL trade deadline is Tuesday, November 2nd, but we have a trade deadline trade made earlier. Uh, the Eagles are trading tight end Zach Ertz to the Arizona Cardinals. Arizona gets Zach Ertz, the tight end, a three-time Pro Bowler. He's 30 years old. Philly gets a corner. Uh, Tay Gowan and a 2022 fifth-round pick. So undefeated Arizona just got even better. That's scary. That's interesting. They got another really good offensive weapon. Now, from the outside looking in, you might think, huh, is this Philly giving up on the year? But really, this is just something that was inevitable because— and by the way, a lot of people thought that Zach Ertz was going to leave Philadelphia like during the offseason last year. So really what's happening is Zach Ertz is on the final year of his contract, and Philly said, we got to get rid of him now to get something in return— rather than letting him leave for free. And uh, the result is Philadelphia gets a fifth-round pick and a corner, and Arizona, their offense now is DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, Christian Kirk, Rondell Moore, tight end Zach Ertz, Kyler Murray at quarterback, Chase Edmonds at running back. This is a 5-0 and Arizona Cardinals team that is even better now. Now, one thing is Zach Ertz played on Thursday Night Football. He cannot play Sunday. You can only play one game during an NFL week. It's kind of a funny thought. It's not baseball where you can literally play like the same day or the next day. No, unfortunately uh, for Arizona. And I don't think it's unfortunate. Like Zachert's body is probably destroyed from playing on Thursday night football. Oh, by the way, he played another game four days ago on Sunday. Stop with anybody asking, could he play on Sunday? Even if he could, I would recommend not doing that because your body's probably already destroyed. Uh, but also he doesn't know the playbook. He's going to get in and learn things as quickly as he can. But uh, yeah, Zach Ertz has to move to Arizona now, which is like a crazy thing. Okay, didn't expect that trade to happen. At th- I-, I thought that trade would happen, but I did not expect it to happen You know, well before the N- NFL trade deadline. So uh, interesting move. I woke up to that news today and was like, huh, all right, Zach Ertz going to Arizona. Now, let's talk about the Minnesota Vikings. I find myself really rooting for the Vikings right now. I, first of all, I like and respect their head coach, Mike Zimmer. He is a guy that 
every time I watch Minnesota and one of his defenses, I see a crazy blitz that is like impossible to stop or a coverage that's like, oh my gosh, or they disguise the coverage really well. And my point is that Mike Zimmer is one of the best defensive minds in the entire NFL. And I watch film of him and I'm like, that's, that's a blitz you literally can't stop. Like, do whatever you want, but they, they just hit it too well, and he's got all kinds of really cool ideas and stuff, and he's like a, a mad scientist when it comes to creating coverages. Then you have Minnesota's quarterback, Kirk Cousins, and he's been playing great football. You know, the Vikings are 2-3 and three right now, but I'm sure Vikings fans, if you watch Minnesota every week, you can recognize, oh, uh, yeah, the quarterback is not the problem. Kirk is playing really, really good football. And I look at the Vikings record right now. They're two and three. And they brought in Kirk a few years ago, gave him a massive contract, guaranteed money. The hope was that they would win. And since 2018, when they brought him in, they've made the playoffs one time. And they've won one playoff game. And that, that year, 2019, they beat the Saints in the wild card round of the playoffs. And man, that's they've never, by the way, won the NFC North in the entire Kirk Cousins era in Minnesota. Now they're two and three. I worry that both Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer are in danger of losing their job. At 2-3 and three right now, they play Carolina this week in NFL Week 6. Then they've got a bye Week 7. And then after that, after that bye week in Week 7, Minnesota has a brutal schedule coming up. They play Dallas. Then they play at Baltimore, the Ravens. Then they play at L.A., the Chargers. Then they play Green Bay at home. Then at the 49ers. Bang, bang, bang. Those are like five potential playoff teams the 49ers are probably the weakest of those teams but they're really good too they just took Arizona with a rookie quarterback to a a, a seven point game so Minnesota is in danger of starting three and eight or four and seven maybe worse if they lose to Carolina so I oh man I fear that either one of them or, or even both Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins would not survive a four and seven start to the year remember the Vikings drafted former Texas A&M quarterback Kellen Mond in the third round. Mike Zimmer's a good coach. I He may be the problem in Minnesota, but I know that he can coach somewhere, if not in Minnesota. Although I don't know how, how is Mike Zimmer, how would he go from a head coach with all that power to taking a step backward and being a defensive coordinator somewhere? I don't, that, that seems crazy to me. Maybe he coaches college. I have no, I don't think he would want to coach college though. So I don't know. Um, Zimmer's a good coach that I really respect, and Kirk Cousins is playing very, very good football despite the record. It's always hard to praise a quarterback when the team is playing badly, but Kirk Cousins isn't the reason why his team is 2-3. and However, ownership is irrational and angry. Not, Not that Minnesota's ownership is. I think Ziggy Wolf is the name of the owner. But often we see in the NFL especially, ownership gets impatient and frustrated and ends up making a move that is not necessarily the right football move. So I got to say, I I am rooting for the guys in Minnesota who are fighting to keep their jobs. Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer right now feel like both are on the chopping block, and they've got a brutal five-game stretch coming up after Week 7, starting Week 8 against Dallas. So uh, my goodness, I, I find myself really rooting for Minnesota right now, hoping they win and hoping some of those guys can keep their jobs. Okay, I'm going to take a short break when I return. Uh, we've got a, I'm not going to tell you what's coming up. Got a really, really fun segment. Uh, I also want to say, let, let me, let me say this real quick. I am working on film analysis. I, I've been working on a Matthew Stafford film analysis. I've been working on a Dak Prescott film analysis and I keep running into 
lots of, I, I don't want to say too much. I don't, I, my fear is getting in trouble or getting, I, I keep running into problems behind the scenes and I have a workaround. I can't execute it till the end of the month, but I'm just telling you now, I, it's not like I, I know people want film analysis. I hear you. I'm working on it. However, for most of the ideas I have, I can't actually execute them until later down the road when I find it. I have an idea. It's going to take a little bit of money. I don't get paid till the end of the month by YouTube. So uh, letting you know now, film is not dead. I'm doing film again someday. I have to come up with a new strategy to do some stuff. And I don't want to say what my strategy is for all kinds of reasons, but uh, just know that I am working on it behind the scenes. And I'm very, very excited about the ideas that I have. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. This is something that has been asked for a lot. I think people are going to really enjoy it. So last weekend during NFL Week 5, 49ers rookie quarterback Trey Lance made his first ever NFL start. He did it on the road at Arizona. And since a lot of people asked for it, I figured, ah, why not? Let's do a film analysis of how that went. How did Trey Lance's first ever NFL start go? And uh, look, I saw a lot of good stuff, uh, some bad stuff. And then one big concern, let's start with the good things I saw. I thought he made some really good plays, some good throws. He had a great throw on 3rd and 11, got dropped by Mohamed Sanu. That was unfortunate. He also threw a perfect hitch route to Brandon Ayuk. It was like exactly where he needed to be outside, where only his receiver could get it. Beautiful location. And then, man, running around and extending plays. Trey Lance can do stuff that the 49ers' other quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, simply is not capable of doing. On his very first play, Arizona brought a five-man rush. A guy came free off the edge. Trey stepped up in the pocket, avoided a sack, and then ran for 11 yards in a first down. Like, oh, man. Jimmy Garoppolo would have got sacked on that play. If, if that happened to him, that's a sack for Jimmy Garoppolo. Instead, Trey Lance, that's an 11-yard gain. I get excited watching that happen. Trey also had a really nice throw on the run to Debo Samuel, 26-yard gain. Also, quick side note. Brandon Ayuk had a great catch. He basically stole the ball from a defender on a stop route. Brandon Ayuk needs more targets. Please throw that man the ball. I want to see Brandon Ayuk get more targets. Now, Trey is still a work in progress when it comes to recognizing blitzes. He had a great play on fourth and five in the third quarter. Arizona brought pressure off the edge. Trey did exactly what you're supposed to do. He hung in the pocket, beat the blitz, throwing the ball. That's fantastic. However, at the end of the game on the 49ers' final drive, third and three, Arizona brought a six-man rush. The 49ers only had five guys to block six defenders. Trey did not recognize the blitz. Trey has to know, we don't have the ability to block all six guys coming after me. He needed to find his hot route left in the flat. He had his tight end, Ross Dwelly, wide open. That's where the ball's got to go, and that is how you beat the blitz. Trey Lance did not do that on that play. There were also a few times where Trey Lance failed to find his check down. I think occasionally you see Trey a bit quick to leave the pocket and run around. And you know he had an interception on his very first drive where I thought that on the interception, he probably should have just checked it down. Although he had a running lane too, like either take off and run or find your check down. The worst thing, if he throws, if he runs it himself, he can point ahead and have his check down lead block for him. But instead, he threw the ball high and late to Travis Benjamin, and it got picked off. In the post-game interview, Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers head coach, said that Trey threw the ball to the right spot, just high. 
Um, and, and there was a brief window, sure, where, where it was open earlier in the play, but I ultimately believe that Kyle said that to avoid throwing Trey Lance under the bus. Like, hey, let's not give the media any reason to be angry at Trey. Let's just pretend it was a high throw. I actually think Trey Lance didn't make a good decision there. And, and look, I, I, I hear you. The coach said otherwise, but I think the coach was protecting his player and trying to not throw him under the bus. Now, later on a second and 16, Trey took a sack. It was a drive in the third quarter, and the sack really kind of killed the drive. And for some reason, Trey got really uncomfortable in the pocket. He tried to run. Instead, he should have just found his check down. Kyushek was sitting wide open in the middle of the field. No need to square your shoulders and, you know, look towards the line of scrimmage and run. What he should have done, stay in the pocket, slide up, keep your base steady, and find your check down Kyle Juszczyk. That's a moment where I, I think Trey Lance is looking to run a little bit early rather than hanging out in the pocket where you still have time. He also had a couple inaccurate throws. He missed a bubble on the goal line. That's a play where you got to throw to your receiver's upfield shoulder, allow him to make a cut upfield. Technically, it was catchable, but in the NFL, you expect more from your quarterbacks. You cannot miss on a bubble screen. Trey Lance did there. He also missed high on a key third and four at the end of the game to Brandon Ayuk. The ball needed to be low at his numbers or down low where he can catch the ball and keep it away from a defender you know, right on his body, hopefully. Instead, Trey Lance threw it high up over his head. It's uncatchable, and uh, that's a very unfortunate miss in a key situation. Look, I believe Trey Lance is special. He's crazy talented. As long as he works hard and really wants to learn, he's going to be an amazing quarterback. I look at, I, I compare him to Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. I think they're very, very similar skill set wise. They're amazingly talented and came into the NFL a little bit raw, needed time to learn and grow. And man, I think if you give the same way you gave Josh Allen a lot of time in Buffalo to mature and were patient with him, I think if you do the same thing for Trey Lance, he's going to be an incredible quarterback. However, on Sunday, the 49ers had a chance to win. That's a seven point game. And Trey Lance missed on a couple of key things that really cost his team a victory, in my opinion. Now, here is my one really, really big concern watching Trey Lance on Sunday at Arizona. The way Trey Lance ran the ball in this game, it's not sustainable in my opinion. Early on, Kyle Shanahan made it clear he wants to use the power running of Trey Lance. He wants to run the football and have Trey Lance lower his shoulder at times. And look, I get it. Trey Lance is built like a battering ram. But that doesn't mean you should use him like one. And Kyle called a ton of designed quarterback runs right up the middle. And Trey Lance took a ton of hits. That makes me uncomfortable. We saw the career trajectory of Cam Newton where, I'm sorry, you can't take hits like that for years. Remember, Kyle Shanahan once had RG3 as his starting quarterback. And, you know, that guy got hurt. Under Kyle Shanahan's watch, RG3 got injured and kind of ruined his career. It's really cool you have a quarterback who can run up the middle like a fullback, but I would be careful how often I use it. And I wouldn't want Trey Lance taking as many hits. And look, I, I, him running around, extending a play on a, if you call a passing play and Trey Lance runs around, that's fine. That's him creating. I love that. Especially Trey Lance running on the outside. That's fantastic. Now he had a play where instead of running to the outside, he leaned back inside, took an extra hit. Like, I want Trey Lance to try to avoid hits if he can. Um, but having a play where Trey Lance extends a play himself and gets to the edge, that's very different than a designed quarterback run right up the middle. I, I'm uncomfortable with that. Now, 
It's very cool. He's capable of that. But I would use that sparingly with Trey Lance. I, I would not. I, I thought Kyle Shanahan leaned on it a little bit much against Arizona. And I just don't think you can do that every week for 10 years and expect Trey Lance to stay healthy the entire time. It's not sustainable long term. Now, it may not be Kyle's plan to call games like that every week, but I watched Trey Lance take some hits during that first game that made me cringe and go, ooh, that may not be sustainable long-term, and we'll see what their long-term plan is in San Francisco. Now, the last thing I want to say, I want to give a shout-out to Cardinals defensive end J.J. Watt. He played fantastic. He blew up a couple plays. There was an early run on second and four in particular where J.J. Watt had a huge tackle for loss. Shout out to J.J. Watt. That's a fantastic football player. And uh, breaking down film for Trey Lance, I got to watch some J.J. Watt and go, hmm, this is some really, really good stuff by J.J. Watt. All right, uh, coming up, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, ask Zach. Uh, and the top stories for the NFL and college football this weekend. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Let's jump in. We have reached NFL Week 6, and there are 11 things I'm really, really excited to see play out this weekend. Number one is this. It's the LA Chargers at the Baltimore Ravens. I believe the Chargers are the better team and will win, but still, it's Justin Herbert on one side against Lamar Jackson on the other sideline. That's an incredible game. I don't care who you are. It's two of not only the best young quarterbacks in the NFL, but two of the best quarterbacks, period, in the NFL, and I think LA is a better football team. But let's be clear: when Baltimore has Lamar Jackson, they always have an opportunity to win. So it's going to be a really, really fun, really, really special game. Now, number two is another massive game: Cardinals at the Browns. Arizona is five and zero. Cleveland is three and two. I think Cleveland wins here. Uh, this feels like the game of the week, in my opinion. Week uh, there are four. Really big, exciting games this week in Week 6, and uh, this feels like the headlining game to me. Now, the Browns' two losses are to Kansas City by four and to the Chargers by five. I mean, the Browns are very, very good, and I think actually, um, you know, th- this is a matchup of two of the top teams in the NFL. Now, Arizona's got a better quarterback, Kyler Murray. However, Cleveland, in my opinion, is slightly better in almost every position, maybe other than quarterback and receiver, so... In my opinion, this is a must-watch game between the Browns and the Cardinals, two of the best teams in the NFL. The Browns are at home, and uh, I think, man, it's going to be incredible. Number three, Cowboys at Patriots, another one of these really good matchups. Uh, a great Cowboys team on the road. Dak Prescott, Cowboys quarterback against Bill Belichick, the Patriots defense uh, well, head coach, but defensive mastermind. The Patriots are 2-3. and three. This feels like a must-win game for them at home, like, they got to get to 3-3 three and three and save their season. Now, the Cowboys are a better team, but I would never count out Bill Belichick and the Patriots. This will be a very, very interesting football game. Number four, the Raiders at the Denver Broncos. Both teams started out 3-0. and Now both teams are 3-2, and though, and both have a lot to prove. The Raiders just lost their coach, and, man, I, I, I think Denver is a team that is soul-searching, trying to decide, like, at least... The Raiders know who their quarterback is, Derek Carr. Denver fans right now are like, do we keep our coach? Is Teddy Bridgewater, he's probably not our long-term quarterback. Like, Denver fans, I think, are feeling worse right now than Raiders fans, although Raiders fans don't feel good either. Like, how crazy is it that two weeks ago, 
both Denver and the Raiders were three and zero on top of the world. Now they're three and two, and man, it's going to be a very competitive, interesting, fun AFC West matchup this weekend: Raiders at Broncos in Denver. Number five, Vikings at Panthers. Minnesota is two and three, and their next five games after this game against Carolina are brutal. So these guys are fighting to keep their jobs. It's a huge game for Minnesota. I think the Vikings win. But Carolina's no slouch. Remember, Carolina started the year 0-3. Nobody could run against them. And uh, I'm very curious how the Panthers bounce back after losing two games in a row. So, yeah, Minnesota had a big emotional win last week. And Carolina on a two-game losing streak. Who's going to win? It'll be interesting. But, man, Minnesota, the pressure is on. And, and, and Carolina, if they lose this game, no one's losing their job. Minnesota tensions are high, man. They got to win this game to keep their their season afloat, and uh, and and therefore also, in my opinion, I think Mike Zimmer, quarterback, you know, uh, Kirk Cousins, their jobs are on the line. So I think Minnesota, in desperation, wins this football game. Number six, Texans at Colts. The Colts are one and four, and uh, if they lose this game, their season is officially over. You cannot start one and five and recover from that. Uh, also, remember they got hard knocks coming in later this year. That'll be even more drama. Harder to overcome, so it's non-negotiable. The Colts have to look good, and they have to win this weekend at home against a bad Houston team. Number seven, Seattle at Pittsburgh. It's Seattle's first game of many without their star quarterback, Russell Wilson. Geno Smith is going to start for them, uh, but we're going to learn a lot in this game about how Geno can do, and and can he help keep Seattle's season afloat while Russell Wilson is hurt. We're going to learn a lot about Geno Smith. This weekend. Number eight, Bengals at Lions. Will the Lions start 0-6 this year? And then on the other side, the Bengals, if they win, are going to start 4-2. Like, the Bengals are doing very, very well. And, you know, the the question is, Detroit has been really, really close to winning all year. I mean, they've been right on the cusp many, many times this year. And so Detroit is not an easy win for, for Cincinnati. And... Another question I have is, will Lions quarterback Jared Goff avoid turnovers? Because if he does that, if Jared Goff can play a clean football game, I think Detroit has a big opportunity to win here. So uh, I, I would keep an eye on this game. If Cincinnati wins, that's a 4-2 and two start to their year. I mean, it's pretty clear they've turned things around in Cincinnati. But on the other side, the Lions are really fighting hard to avoid an 0-6 start to their season. Number nine, another winless team. You have the Jaguars against the Dolphins. This game is in London. Are the Jaguars going to start 0-6? That would be brutal for them. Also, Miami's quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa, is coming back this week from an injury. So sometimes watching another person run your offense makes you even better. Gives you good notes. It gives you a different perspective. I believe we will learn a lot about Tua Tungavaloa in this game. Is he capable of being a long-term option at quarterback. We will see again. The game is in London. And then the question is, will Urban Meyer get fired afterward? We've seen many times where a coach goes to London, you got to buy a week after London, and a coach gets fired. So keep your eye on Urban Meyer. What's going to happen to him if they lose this football game? Number 10, the Packers at the Bears. I got a weird question from this game. I don't, I don't know if I'm out of left field asking this, but could this be Aaron Rodgers' final game? at Soldier Field in Chicago as a member of the Green Bay Packers. I don't know. I don't know, but that that's maybe if you're a Bears fan and you even if you hate Aaron Rodgers, just think about it like this could be the last time you ever see him play at your home stadium with the Packers and maybe that's something you celebrate probably cuz he's beat you for years, but 
also in a weird way, maybe enjoy it and celebrate. This could be the final time you see Aaron Rodgers in a Packers uniform at your stadium. On top of that, how will the Bears rookie quarterback Justin Fields play? I'm very, very interested to see him. Weird side note, by the way, every time I'm talking about Justin Herbert, I almost accidentally say Justin Fields. I hate that they both have the name Justin. I always, for some reason, it's not like I don't know who they are, but I often get their names mixed up and I slightly slip. I'm like, I hear myself, I feel myself saying Justin, F- and then I'm like, Herbert. No, Herbert. I met Herbert. And it, it, it irritates me to no end, that, that slight slip of the tongue. Uh, now, number 11, you have the Bills at the Titans. This game is really only on my radar because it's Monday Night Football. I will watch it. It's a primetime game. The reality is I believe Buffalo is going to win this game pretty easily, and uh, I'm not that excited for it. But I will watch it. It's a Monday Night Football game. I watch every primetime game. Uh, final note, there are four teams this week that have a bye weekend. You have the Falcons. You have the Saints. You have the Jets and the 49ers. So those are the things I am really excited to watch during NFL Week six. Okay, I need to take a short break. I need to blow my nose really, really badly. So, um, my name is Zach Schaumler. Whenever I turn, we'll do Ask Zach. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. I uh, I want to put a question out there to the audience. I am looking for help. I uh, I need new headphones. These are horrible. I it literally makes the show worse because I feel like I I hear myself. But badly, the entire episode, I, I, my old headphones were great. I had them for seven years, and I loved them, but they, they stopped working one day, and I was very disappointed. I was really sad. Uh, I can't find those online anymore. So I, I put a question out there to the world, and I, those are ones I randomly got at Ross, literally, but they were fantastic. So I ask you, are there any headphones anyone recommends? I can't have the ones that are, like, massive that sit over your ear, and they, I mean, it makes my head look weird. I, I have too small of a head for big headphones. I need ones that sit, like, on top of, but don't sit around your ear. Like, I don't need noise canceling. I just need headphones that work to some degree that are also quality. These are literally like Walmart brand awful headphones. So if anybody out there can recommend a good pair of headphones or send me a link on Instagram, whatever, I, I, I'm open to suggestions, and I uh, I literally need headphones to make the show better. It's, it's driving me nuts. I hear myself in my ear, but it doesn't sound good, and it it's not exactly picking up how the microphone sounds, so... If anyone can help me, please, please let me know. Okay, it is time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. In case you do not know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Uh, This is where I read questions from the audience. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally does help pay my rent. But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, if you submit a question on Patreon, my only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. Question number one today comes from Patrick. He says, I'm a Chiefs fan. Should I be worried? I actually don't think so. Kansas City is two and three. Their three losses are to some really good football teams. The LA Chargers, Baltimore, and Buffalo. All three of those teams are four and one. You lost to Baltimore by one point. You lost to LA by six. Uh, I would not overreact here. Now, I made a mistake last episode. I, I feel bad. I was going to put it in the corrections, but I'm like, I'll save it for Ask Zach. Uh, I was trying to say last episode that Kansas City wasn't going to win their division. And it's funny, actually, during my breakout, like I do you know, show clips of the on YouTube, I actually cut out this part that I, I misspoke. But I was trying to say that Kansas City's not going to win their division. 
but I ended up accidentally saying, I don't know how you, it's not a Freudian slip. I don't know how this ends up happening, but I, I actually said that they're not a Super Bowl team. And I don't believe that. I think that if Kansas City got, you know, into the playoffs as a wild card football team, they're still very dangerous. You have Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hale, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, I would not want my favorite team to play Kansas City in the wild card round. I don't have one, but if I was a fan, I'd be like, if my team played Kansas City, in the wild card round of the playoffs, I'd be like, oh, man, I don't feel great. Because Kansas City can beat anybody, any day. I mean, just whenever you have Patrick Mahomes and Kyrie Kill and that explosive tight end, Travis Kelsey, like, sorry, but you you always have an opportunity. And uh, KC could absolutely get to a Super Bowl with a as a wild card team. So if I'm a, if I'm a Chiefs fan, I'm, I'm not panicking at all. Relax. You're fine. You're great. You're not as good as you were last year. Accept it. You're going to lose the division to L.A., but oh well. Like, make it into the playoffs. You can still win from there. And uh, if Eli Manning can win a Super Bowl as a wildcard team, Patrick Mahomes certainly can. Okay, Raphael writes in. He says, hey, Zach, I just watched the London game this morning. So he wrote this last week. I have to say I was unimpressed, to say the least, least with the Jets quarterback, Zach Wilson. You speak highly of him, but watching him play, I'm seeing multiple red flags. He lacked anticipation was inconsistent with his technique that resulted in multiple inaccurate throws and an interception and interception worthy throws. Even the deep throws were unimpressive. Am I crazy? He looks like the typical NFL bust, a guy with a big arm, but bad habits still early. However, was it just one bad game? Thank you for reading. Hope you're doing well. Uh, Raphael. It's funny. Actually, it's not just one bad game. It's Zach Wilson's been struggling this year. And I, I say that knowing full well, like I love the guy and uh, I'm actually not concerned even like at all. I, I'm literally not even worried about Zach Wilson. Uh, first of all, the guy works crazy hard. He loves football. I have no doubt that this offseason, watching film, rewatching his games, he's going to learn a lot. He's going to take notes. And I, I was on the phone with a friend of mine today, like you have to, before you can you know, run the offense, well, you have to know the playbook. And Zach Wilson is still, you can't even fully understand the mistakes you're making until you understand why you're making, like, you know what I mean? Like, he's still learning. It's okay. Don't forget Josh Allen's rookie year. Josh Allen was nowhere near the quarterback he is today. And Zach Wilson is crazy talented on a bad football team. He's not a bust. He works super hard. I just totally disagree. He's a talented rookie quarterback on a bad team who's still learning. Give it time. And I mean, I would give it till next year. What do you, there's no hurry for Zach Wilson. He's done some incredible stuff. I think even the Patriots game earlier this year, he had a couple plays where you're like, my, my friends who are Patriots fans were sending, sending me messages like, dude, you got to see Zach Wilson. He's not good yet, but he's, he's doing some stuff, extending plays, making big time throws downfield. You just got to be patient. Like, don't expect Zach Wilson to be. Patrick Mahomes after five games of the season. Braden writes in, he says, Denver went from being a team we didn't know was good to a team that I don't even think could beat Georgia right now. And honestly, that hurts more than anything. The week five loss to Pittsburgh made me seriously rethink being a fan of this team. This is just a typical loss under Fangio, and it goes back all the way to 2019. Things have only gotten worse since Pat Shermer showed up and became the offensive coordinator. I think it's time for Denver to move on. But I'd like to hear if I'm overreacting from a more level-headed football fan than I am at the moment. Am I crazy, or am I right to think that Fangio and Shermer need to go? 
No, man. Uh, that Pittsburgh game, week five for Denver, embarrassing, horrible loss. Uh, that's a game you have to win. If Denver wants to be good, you have to beat Pittsburgh and by a lot. So I, I watched that game and thought, you probably need a new coach. You probably need a new quarterback. Uh, we'll be patient. I'll give it a couple more weeks because, I mean, there's still time for Denver to turn it around. But, like, I, you know, they lost to Baltimore and Teddy Bridgewater was hurt half the game. I'm like, well, okay, let's see. Then they gave up a big goose egg, a terrible, a dud of a performance against Pittsburgh last weekend. So we've seen enough now where I'm like, they beat up on bad football teams. They can't beat a good team. And it's also disappointing. Remember, like, Patrick Sertan has been solid but Denver passed on Justin Fields they passed on Mac Jones and what is their long-term plan at quarterback and why do they not seem to have one I, I don't understand and uh man I, I want Denver to hire a coach who can coach on offense get an offensive coordinator who a Joe Brady type I mean I I don't know the, the decision making in Denver has been weird to say the least and Vic Fangio has not been good enough and I, I just, I, I don't get it, man. I'm so confused by what's going on in Denver. And um, I, I still, I have all these questions. Like, why? Teddy's fine. Teddy's not terrible. But he's not your long-term quarterback. I've seen five games. I know enough now to go, like, nah, he's not. Like, he needed to play better against Pittsburgh. And uh, he didn't. So, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, Braden, do not feel guilty panicking if you're a Broncos fan. I would, too. John writes in, he says, hey, Zach. Spencer Rattler is bad, right? <laughs> so Spencer Rattler is the quarterback at Oklahoma. He got benched uh, during college football week six last weekend. Spencer Rattler is so, so, so talented. But along with his talent, he's equally immature. And, I mean, if you're an NFL scout or from an NFL perspective, you look at, Trey, at Spencer Rattler and go, oh, red flag, red flag, red flag, bad decision maker, immature, yelling at people, weird, not good. And his teammates don't seem to like him, which is a huge problem. Your teammates should like your quarterback. They don't. And they rallied around Caleb Williams partially, it seems like, because they liked him more. So it's really disappointing. And, and, and you know, Spencer Rattler, no, he, he doesn't look like a good quarterback right now and certainly not a good NFL prospect. Oscar writes in, he says, Hey, Zach, thanks for answering my first ever question about the Cardinals in podcast 393. What's up? Welcome. Uh, my question is, who do you think are the top five teams in the NFL as of now, week five? P.S. In podcast 393, you excused yourself and said you felt bad because you were going to say something Cardinals fans probably didn't want to hear. And I wanted to let you know that I listen to you because you tell us what you think based on evidence, not because you tell us NFL fans what we want to hear. I greatly appreciate your honesty, and you don't have to feel bad for giving us fans harsh reality. Uh, Oscar, I, I can't give you a top five. I'm sorry. I can give you a top four, or I can give you a top ten, and I'd rather do a top ten. So uh, in no particular order, my top four are this. Remember, no order. I have three tiers, top four, then four more, then a clear nine and ten. The top four, in my opinion, are Buffalo, the L.A. Chargers, the Cleveland Browns, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. These are three football teams that have really, really deep rosters with basically no hole, no weakness, and uh, 
all three of them are Super Bowl contenders and, and should be in the top favorites, in my opinion. Like, the Browns will surprise people. I have them there, but they lost to Kansas City by, what was it, like four points, two points, something like that. They barely lost to Kansas City, and they barely lost to L.A., the Chargers, and Justin Herbert. So the Browns are one of my top four teams, in my opinion, right now. Now, the next four, in no particular order, you have the Cardinals, the Packers, Dallas, and the Ravens. These are teams that are also capable of winning a Super Bowl. Uh, the Packers are probably the best team here. Arizona's probably right behind them. I want to see an NFC title game between Green Bay and Arizona would be incredible. We actually had that a couple years ago between Aaron Rodgers and Kurt Warner. Now we have Aaron Rodgers and Kyler Murray. It'd be really fun and really exciting. Uh, and then the ninth best team in the NFL is the LA Rams. And the 10th best team in the NFL is the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I put Bills, Chargers, Browns, Buccaneers in the top four because they're the best, most complete rosters. The Cowboys are a great football team. Dak Prescott's phenomenal. The Cowboys are way better than I, I think I picked, predicted the Cowboys to win five or six games this year, which is like so embarrassing because it's like completely wrong. Um, and then the Ravens are, I think, the weakest team in the top 10 that I just listed, but they have Lamar Jackson. They find a way to win every week, and uh, Lamar's elite. So it's all right. They can always win a game there. Uh, I hope that answers your question. I don't know if that's interesting. I don't. I, I hate ranking teams. I don't like doing that. I don't do a. I don't do like a, a power ranking, nothing like that. But that's the closest you'll ever get. My top four, then four more, and then nine and ten. So hope that makes sense to you. Again, my top my top four: Bills, Chargers, Browns, Buccaneers. The four more were Cardinals, Packers, Cowboys, Ravens. The ninth best team in the NFL, the LA Rams, and the tenth best team in the NFL. Kansas City. Michael wrote in. He says, as your reach grows, your promise to read every Ask Zach question with your eyeballs will become unsustainable. This is not an accusation, but it would be unreasonable to expect you to read 100-ish questions for every Ask Zach. What will your plan be then? A raffle system? Thank you for your content. Glad to see Hawaii is going well. Michael, I love you. I'm glad you're a Patreon supporter. You're dead wrong. You're totally Completely wrong. And I actually, I, I read this and I was a little bit bothered. I'm like, man, like, why is Michael putting me in a box? Why is Michael telling me what I can and can't do? You got to realize I have 479 Patreon supporters. I still only get like 40 questions a post on Ask Zach. Like, not, even, even if everybody that is a Patreon supporter wrote in with a question on every single post, I'd be fine. I, I would gladly take 479 questions. I actually, at this point, do not have enough questions. In my head, I would love to do a weekly, like, Wednesday podcast dedicated to just doing Ask Zach questions. I don't get enough of them. So, dude, I, Michael, I, I love you. I could easily read 100 questions a post. I already read, like, 40 a post, and I could do... I think I truly could do three or 400, no problem. I... I love doing it. I have no problem. It's so easy to read questions. And Ask Zach is like the, it's my favorite thing to do. I love sitting down and reading through every question. I mean, there's just good stuff, interesting stuff. I get to challenge myself and have all kinds of feedback and I learn about things. And uh, Michael, I appreciate the question, but the, the, he said, it's unreasonable to expect me to read a hundred ish questions for every Ask Zach. You're just dead wrong. Like you could not be more wrong. And uh, I, 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 I hear you. You think that's a problem, but I, I think I could read 400 questions a week, no problem. It's not hard to read a question. It's very quick, and then you decide 
do I have anything I can say to that or not? And then if I have something I feel like I can respond with, I put it in the show. And I would love to do way more. As the things currently stand, we don't get enough questions on Ask Zach. So, uh, Michael, you're wrong. And Patreon supporters, please step up. There's 479 of you out there. Please write in with more questions. I would love it. I would appreciate it. And uh, please, everyone, write in on Patreon. Okay, Alex writes in. He says, hey, Zach, not related to football, but the NHL season starts on Tuesday. Last year during the NHL playoffs, that's hockey, you were, it sounded like you were getting into it. I was wondering if you're going to be following hockey more, have a team you're rooting for, a player you like. Heck, even if you would be the first person to wear a hockey jersey in Hawaii. Cheers, Alex. Uh, no chance I'm wearing a hockey jersey here. I'm hot and I'm wearing a t-shirt that's like soft and intentionally made for hot weather. It's so hot here. Like I, I love it. I love swimming the warm water, uh, especially my studio is like brutally. The lights, it makes it brutally hot. Uh, there's no AC in this room. So do the math. It's 80 degrees plus whatever it is in here. It's, it's like 95 degrees in here all day, every day. It's not fun. I open a window and I do the best I can. Anyway, so look, I'm never going to wear a hockey jersey in Hawaii, plain and simple. It's never going to happen. I do want to go to Seattle for a Seattle Kraken game. I was a Seattle sports fan as a kid. I was a Mariners fan. I was a Seattle Sonics fan. I am now no longer a Sonics fan. Obviously, they're gone. And I hate the Mariners. I despise them with all my heart. However, I'm open to being a Seattle Kraken fan. If nothing else, other than the fact that I just don't, I don't really care that much since I'm like, I'll go support a team and yell and have fun. And I'd love to buy a Kraken jersey. The Seattle Kraken logo is like so cool to me. The I's, the S, it's awesome. Um, my buddy Austin lives in Seattle. I might stay with him. If my fiance comes, we'll probably get her own Airbnb and go visit Seattle. Like I think she's, my fiance I think has never been to the aquarium there and Pike's Place and all that. So uh, it'll be a blast. And uh, I, I think that, if I ever go to Seattle Kraken game, first of all, I will put it out there. And if anyone goes to the game, say hi, hit me up. I also, I, I did a, a, an XFL game once in Seattle, and I met up with a, a bunch of fans there. It was really fun. So, um, yeah, that's my answer. I, I want to go to Seattle Kraken game, have fun, meet fans if they are there. Okay, uh, let's end the show with this. We have reached college football week seven. There are seven games that I'm really excited to see play out. Number one is uh, number 11, Kentucky, at number one, Georgia. It's a huge game. Two ranked SEC teams. I, I worry that this is a game where Georgia could slip up. Uh, pers- I, th- I think Georgia wins this game personally, but there's always an opportunity here for an upset or you know, an overconfident Georgia team, number one in the country, maybe gets overconfident against a number 11 Kentucky team. There's also a bit of a quarterback controversy in Georgia right now. Stetson Bennett or J.D. Daniels. A lot of people are saying, hey, it makes sense for, I I even said this, like it makes sense at this point for Stetson Bennett to maybe be the starting quarterback long-term at Georgia. But it's two undefeated teams. Both are 6-0. Can number one Georgia stay undefeated? Game number two, UCF Central Florida at number three Cincinnati. If Cincinnati wins out, they were likely getting into the college football playoff. Can Cincinnati stay undefeated? They should win this game, but uh, and I, I love Cincinnati's quarterback, Desmond Ritter, but it'll be interesting. Can Cincinnati, their problem is, can they avoid complacency? Every week, you have to take care of business and dominate your opponent. And sometimes every, everyone has a bad game at some point. And Cincinnati, more so than every other team in the top 10, 
Cincinnati cannot have a loss. They cannot afford it. They cannot slip up at all. How about number 12, Oklahoma State at number 25, Texas? Last week, Texas lost to Oklahoma by one score. And then somehow Oklahoma got ranked the number four team in the nation. Meanwhile, Texas got put at number 25. If I was Texas, I would feel mad. I'd be like, what? What? How is there a 21-point ranking difference between us and the team we barely lost to? So I believe an angry Texas team goes, I, I guess, plays at home and dominates this weekend over Oklahoma State, the in-state rival, by the way, of the team that Texas lost to last week. Number five, Alabama and Mississippi State. Uh, man, Alabama got upset last week by Texas A&M. This week, they might win by 50. I am not the biggest fan of Mike Leach, uh, former Washington State head coach. I was around his program a lot. He's not the head coach of Mississippi State. I believe that Mike Leach's air raid against Alabama, it's a mismatch. It's going to be a dominating performance by Alabama. They're going to win by like 50 points, and I'm excited to watch that. I, I, I like Nick Saban. I like when they win. It'll be fun to watch them win big. That is my prediction. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Then you have TCU at number four, Oklahoma. Rumor is that Caleb Williams is the new starting quarterback at Oklahoma. He took a majority of the snaps with the first team over Spencer Rattler, the former starting quarterback. Should be interesting. Keep your eye on Caleb Williams in number four, Oklahoma. Then you have Auburn at number 17, Arkansas. It's a big game. Bo Nix, Auburn quarterback on the road. I like Bo Nix. I think Bo Nix is gaining my respect more and more every week. I watch him play and I'm like, this guy might be an NFL quarterback. It's very interesting. He can move. He can play well. He's got some bit of Manziel in him. I, I really like Bo Nix is growing on me. I got to say. And uh, Arkansas is really good too. Arkansas probably wins. They're a better football team. But man, don't count out Bo Nix. I love this guy. And uh, should be, could be a very fun game. Auburn at number 17, Arkansas. Then you have number 19, BYU at Baylor. Both teams are 5-1. and one. BYU has beaten three Pac-12 teams this year. They play Washington State next week. They're playing at Baylor this week. I'll probably watch this game. Uh, I'm interested. I wish BYU would join a bigger conference. BYU is a... Look, no matter how you feel about religion, it's a big brand. Like, BYU has fans everywhere. I want to see them join the Pac-12. I wish it could happen. In my opinion, that would be a great fit. I know there's like all these stupid rules and problems in the way, but I'm like, can we just make it happen? I, I think the BYU football program with a Pac-12 schedule would be so interesting and fun to see. Now, I got a bonus one. Uh, Michigan has a bye this week. They play Northwestern next week. Michigan State it plays Indiana this week, has a bye next week. So between the time that Michigan and Michigan State play each other this week, they each have one game and a bye week. This weekend... Michigan State plays Indiana. I desperately want Michigan and Michigan State to both be undefeated going into their game against each other two weeks from now at the end of October. And uh, I am praying that Michigan State beats Indiana this week because I want that. I, 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 someone wrote in. I feel so dumb. Someone wrote in with the name of the rivalry game between Michigan. Let's look it up. I don't care. I got, I got nothing. We're at the end of the show now. Michigan State versus Michigan rivalry game name it is called the what's it called oh come on the paul bunyan trophy it's the paul bunyan game that's weird why paul bunyan must be from michigan i had no idea that's bizarre 
Yeah, the Paul Bunyan game. Okay. The Paul Bunyan trophy. Let me look this up. Since we're on the rabbit hole, let's look up why. Why Paul Bunyan trophy. It reflects Michigan's history as a major lumber-producing state. The trophy was first presented by Michigan Governor M. Menon, G. Menon Williams to commemorate Michigan State's first year elevated to football competition in the Big Ten Conference. So, wait, where's Paul Bunyan? Is Paul Bunyan not from Michigan? Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan, born in, he's Canadian. He's Can What? What? Paul Bunyan hometown. Bangor, Maine. And Minnesota. So he's not... Wow. Wow. Okay, so that's weird. Uh, whatever. Anyway. All right, guys. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And uh, that is the entire show for today. Bum bum bam. We are...